0: In typical West Texas fashion, we're getting started a minute or two late. So please go ahead and start making your way in and grabbing a seat. Come on in and and have a seat. Good morning. Welcome back. I hope you all had a wonderful night's rest and your minds are ready to get started this morning. Our schedule for today, we are running from 9 o'clock until noon with appropriate breaks uh, just dispersed throughout there. And then you are on your own for lunch. You have an hour and a half and then we will meet back here at one30 And go for two more hours, ending at 3.30, which will bring the lecture portion of the conference to a close. We will, uh, and then tonight, for those who are pastors or elders or deacons, if you are an officer in the church, there is an event and your pastor should have spoken to you about that as far as time and location and then Sunday, tomorrow, we will conclude the conference with our joint worship service here at Christ's Covenant at 6 o'clock p.m. Where uh, the Reverend Dr. Lane Tipton will be preaching from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And so I encourage you to come and, and worship our triune God in that joint worship service. And that will bring our conference to a close. Most of you are are familiar with Dr. Tipton. Uh, He's an Amarillo boy, uh, was an Amarillo boy, um, Amarillo man now. Uh, Well, he's a Philadelphia man now, but the Amarillo is still in the heart. Uh, And and we've had him here a number of times, and there's a reason for that. He just blesses us so much when he comes and, and is able to open the scriptures for us. For those of you who may not know know him as well, uh, and this may be uh, maybe you weren't here last night, <clears throat> uh, Do- Rev. Dr. Lane Tipton holds the Charles Cray Chair of Systematic Theology and is Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he is also the pastor at Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Easton, Pennsylvania. And so he's both a professor there at the seminary and and pastor of a church, a teaching elder. And uh, we are just blessed to have him here this weekend. And so I'm going to now turn it over to him and let him uh, exposit and and, and, uh, open the scriptures for us.
1: you, but no, no, no need on that. I appreciate it. Um, well, we uh, we should begin in prayer, and then uh, today we're going to kind of shift a gear, and and we're not going to go faster, but we're going to move more and more directly toward Christ, which is the you know the structure of what we're doing. So let's uh, let's open in prayer, and then we will we'll get going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our union and communion with Jesus Christ we pray that you would work in our hearts that we might know Christ and count all other things as rubbish <coughs> compared to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ being conformed to his likeness being a participant in his sufferings knowing the power of his resurrection life by his spirit in our hearts and rising up in him to walk in newness of life. We pray, Lord, that you would impress on our hearts that at the very core of our Christian identity is the personal presence of the ascended Christ, present to us by his word and spirit, comforting, guarding, guiding, renewing as he brings us home, as he brings us to a heavenly dwelling place, that we might behold his glory. We ask now, Lord, that you would consecrate this time for uh, your glory. We ask that you would fill us with the spirit of the ascended Christ and teach us by the light of your word. And we pray that you would make that word uh, something that runs deeply into our hearts and impresses upon us indelibly and irrevocably the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection life at work within us. Teach us now, forgive us for our sins, and renew our minds that we might know Christ and that we might continue to walk in a bond of glorious fellowship with him in this age, longing for that day when faith will give way to sight and we will be filled with all of the fullness that is in our ascended and glorified Savior. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we, we've, we've been talking uh, quite a while about the significance now of Adam and Moses. Um, and I don't think I did this toward the end, and I want to give you a chance to get going a little more slowly this morning. I don't want to just start where we ended last night. We were running pretty quickly, I know. But I want you to, uh, to think with me about the comparisons and contrasts between Adam and Moses for a second. And, um, and by the way, uh, not during lecture time, but if anyone wants to talk about uh, the king of Tyre, Satan, and Adam, fallen Adam, how you might correlate them, love to do that, we can talk about it. But, but at very minimum, what, what's the difference between Adam and Moses that we've seen so far? Just think. I want to integrate this for us, okay? What what is the difference? Well, Adam was on the mountain of God in Eden, and he walked with God, and he had fellowship with God, and the stones were set on fire leading up to the glorious throne presence of God, and Adam walked in that mountain presence of God. He had fellowship with God, but what happened in the fall as we saw in Ezekiel 28, uh, 16, what happened in the fall is he was banished from that mountain presence. He was barred from it. And, And here's something maybe I didn't make as explicit as I need to. In himself, he cannot stand in the presence of God as a sinner. You see that? There's no hope. You don't have Adam loses his original righteousness, He loses his original holiness, and the the peaceful, life-giving presence of God is turned to wrath and curse against him, and he is banished from the presence of God. That mountain cannot be accessed by Adam on his own resources and in his own power, right? So what does God promise? Well, he promises a redeemer. He promises a mediator. He promises one who will bring a people back to the presence of God and raise them up and bring them into not merely an earthly mountain, but into heaven itself to see the glory of God and to be filled with His presence, with delight in His holy presence. Now, that's, that's Adam. So what image needs to be left in our minds from last night in that one-hour presentation. A man who is banished from the presence of God and does not bear the glory of God but the wrath and curse of God. He, He loses fellowship. What about Moses? Oh, we've got something different there, don't we? Moses, by virtue of his union with the promised Messiah, Moses as one who knows the Lord in redemptive grace. Moses is given a unique and in the Old Testament unparalleled approach to God, isn't he? Moses, not Aaron, Moses, not the people, only Moses, this is going to be so important for understanding Jesus, by the way, only Moses as a Melchizedekian high priest, a type of Christ, only Moses gets what? I, I, I think I got too, too riled up last night and I forgot to keep writing on the board. Moses, in 33.11, up on the mountain with God, gets face-to-face fellowship that is friend-to-friend. And I, I just want you to think about that for a second. Exodus 33.11, which we looked at, That is something that is unique to Moses, and it's. And here's what I want you to see. Tell me if you see it. If you don't, we can keep talking. It is the redemptive reversal of Adam's situation as a sinner. A redemptive reversal has occurred. Adam banished from that earthly mountain, Moses brought to that earthly mountain. Adam loses his fellowship with God, Moses is face to face, friend to friend in fellowship with God. So this mountain is clearly now a redemptive mountain, a mountain where the Lord is showing Moses his glory as Moses is interceding up into the presence of God to make atonement and to secure the ongoing presence and rest of God's people with God as a what? This was the key. As a heightened type of Christ. Not in the order of the Levitical priesthood, but in the order of Melchizedek. And Isn't, isn't that there? It's just, it, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? It's one of those things. Once you see it, you try as you might, you're not going to be able to unsee this. So So right here, right here, 3311 is the Melchizedekian, high priestly typology of Moses. Now that's, that's clear enough, right? That's, that's, the, that's the starting point. Now here's what I want you to think about. This is going to be a guide. And I meant to, I think, believe it or not, I think I was tired last night. <laughs> yeah, I think I was. Because I, 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 I don't think I communicated to you as well as I should have. Let me, let me give you this as a template for you to remember, okay? Tell me, when this, tell me now if this starts sounding like Jesus. We haven't even gotten to Hebrews yet, but tell me if you're starting to see Jesus. Only Moses ascends the mountain. Only Moses face to face with God. Only Moses friend to friend with God. Only Moses is going to see the glory of God passing before him on the mountain. And then from that place, what is he going to do? This is where we're going today. He's going to descend to the people. And he's going to bear in his countenance the glory presence of God. Do you already see the book of Hebrews? (laughs) You should. See, that's... This is, this is what is so basic. Moses is like a first fruits because Moses is a mediator of the grace and glory of God as he is a type of Christ. Now, that's, that's, to, that's to give us the idea. Now, once we see that, here's what I want you to appreciate. The, um, there are two stages so far. Of his Melchizedekian identity. One, he goes up to make atonement for sin and to secure the peace and uh, fellowship between God and his people as a type of Christ. He doesn't do it on his own power. He's a type. Secondly, what he gets as the mediator the next level of heightened typology is he sees the face of God and has friendship and fellowship with God. Now, once we've seen that, look in your Bibles at um, thirty-three, Exodus 33, 11 through 23. I'm actually going to read this, and, um, and, and the way to, to, to help you see it is that moving from verse 12 all the way down to verse 23, if if you can think of it this way, you're going to watch a a, a progressively ascending heightening of the typology we've already seen. It's gonna be a progressively ascending heightening, and guess who gets it? Only Moses. So if you are prone to mark in your Bible, you know, I don't know if you are, you may have a tablet, but if you're prone to do that, You can say, Exodus 33, 12 through 23, the ascending and intensifying of the typology of Moses as a Melchizedekian high priest. This is is what we'll see. Now, look at it. In Exodus 33, beginning in verse 11 down to 23, there are three movements. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So what's Moses doing? You know me. Now... As you know me, know them. You see that? As you know me, know them in the same way. And the Lord said to him, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he said to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Think of Romans 9. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now here's what I want you to start to see. The typology we've seen in 32:30 3230 and 32:32, and in 33-11, face-to-face, friend to friend, that now gets an, in, an additional intensification from verses 12 through 23. And here's, here's the first thing I want you to note. Moses, in 12 through 14 petitions God for something you've got to grasp. It is what? It is, make known to me your favor and give me your presence and rest. That's what Moses is requesting of God. But note this, and this is really important. Note the way, when I was reading this, I hope you picked up on it. Note how Beginning in verses um, 14, Moses is not petitioning, and please, please see this, he's not petitioning only for himself. He is petitioning for himself as he represents the people of God. Do you see that? This is so critical. This is where the typology is just going to start opening up in ways that are astounding. What does God say to Moses? This is critical. Here's where his ty- the, the, the typology of, of Christ is so clear. God says, I know you by name, and my favor is with you, Moses. Do you notice the singular there? He's not saying, and please understand this. This is really important to say. God is not saying, I know you by name, and I know And I show, show favor to you personally and to these people. God's not saying that. He's saying that there is something unique about Moses' proximity to him, something unique about the favor that God is showing Moses, something unique about Moses himself. And what is that? We've already seen it. He's a heightened type of the Messiah who is always and only pleasing God. Think of the baptism of Jesus when Jesus is baptized in uh, Luke 3.22. What does does the Lord God Almighty the Father say to the Son when He's baptized? You are my Son and what? Uh, There it is. With no one else is God pleased as He is with Jesus. But... Back here in Exodus 32, 12 through 14, what is God saying to Moses? He's saying, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. And so, what does Moses start to do? Moses, then beginning in 15 through 17, he starts to say, Show me and your people your favor. Give your presence to me and your people. Because if you don't, how will the nations and how will people know that your presence is with us if you do not go with us? So what is Moses doing? Moses is interceding, and through his favor, he pleads for God to extend his favor to his people. The movement is critical. First, Moses... And then the people in Moses, represented by Moses, associated with Moses. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, those who have been baptized into Moses. Right? So, so then, by the time you get from uh, 12 to 14, my rest will go with you, Moses. And then in 15 through 17, Moses says, not only me, but with your people. What do you start to see? Moses as a mediator. Moses as the one, now, humanly speaking, as a type of Christ. Moses as the one through whom God's favor is being imparted to his people. But we're not to the end of it. Moses, this is what I love. This is one of my favorite portions of the Old Testament. Moses hears the Lord say, I will go with you and I will give you rest. And what is he saying? I'll go with you, and I'll go with the people who are with you. And then Moses says, but Lord, I'm not up on this mountain for any other reason than to see your glory. Right? What is the goal of our religion? What is it? It is, yeah, I I heard a lot. Yeah, to, to, to see, it's not it's not doctrine per se, it's not theological acuity, per se, it's not a really sophisticated protological, typological, eschatological system of theology. Listen, it's God himself who satisfies. And Moses says, While I'm here, <laughs> he says, Give me a foretaste of the glory that awaits the people of God. Give me a foretaste of Sabbath rest. Let me have your presence and rest. And so what does the Lord do? When Moses makes that request, God shows him his glory in a unique way. He says, on this mountain, I will not let you see my face. Because you cannot see my face and live. What will happen to a sinful Moses if Christ has not ascended for him? You know what would happen to him? He would be instantly undone in a manner that would be uh, a, a foretaste of final judgment. So what does God do? In his mercy. He hides Moses in the cleft of a rock. And this is astounding. <laughs> the f- the. F- the fullness of his doxae, his glory. The wonder of his grace and compassion and love and mercy. The glory of his presence that brings rest and delight passes before Moses and Moses sees, as it were, the hindquarters of the Lord passing on his way in glory. And in that event you know what you get? You get the high point of Old Testament revelation. Moses, on a mountain, face to face, friend to friend, on earth, sees the glory of the Lord pass before him. And it's in that that the essence of our religion consists seeing that glory, being filled with fullness. And, and now something really um, uh, very important happens in Exodus 34.1. And I, I didn't set this up as well as I should have, so I'll set it up now. What happens in Exodus 34.1 is this. God gives Moses replacement tablets of the Decalogue. Now, I didn't set this up yet, so you're probably saying, what does that mean? Well, think. In Exodus 20, when God brings his people out of Egypt, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage with an outstretched arm. And he gives them the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments are the terms of fellowship with God in this redemptive covenant. And those, listen, if you know the Lord, do you know what you think about His law? You know what you think? I'll tell you. You delight in it, the core of your being. Not perfectly in this age, neither do I. No, not, none of us do, but you do. You delight in it. Why? Because the law is the means to the end of communion with God. It's not just a duty, it's a delight that ushers you into the presence of God as you're in in redemptive fellowship with Him. And, And so those who know the Lord, Psalm 119, what do they do? They delight in His law. It's not a burden, right? It's a delight. And so the Lord calls His people to delight in Him and delight in His law. Moses is the one who understands this the best. And no sooner is he going to fellowship with the Lord, than by the time we get to Exodus 32, the Lord says to him, Hey Moses, at the bottom of this mountain, Israel has returned to Egypt. They are worshiping a golden calf. What did Moses do? Why, why did he break them? He wasn't just angry. It wasn't like I've had, I'm having a bad day so I'm going to smash my TV set. He broke the, the tables of the, of the covenant because Israel had broken faith and broken redemptive fellowship with the Lord. Israel had, had exposed itself as being those who do not delight in the Lord who do not delight in his law, who do not find their deepest satisfaction and greatest delight in knowing the Lord and glorying in his law as a means to an end of fellowship with God. So Moses, now we're putting this in context, says, okay, (laughs) the Lord says, I'm going to break out in wrath and swallow these people alive. Now, we're, we're to Exodus 32, and Moses says, let me go. Let me go and see if I can make intercession. And what does he do? He goes to the mountain. The Lord knows him. The Lord loves him. And through Moses, the Lord says, my presence will continue with this stiff-necked people because the Lord is faithful to his covenant promises. And he's using Moses now as this heightened type of a Melchizedekian priest who will bring the presence of God to the people. So Moses is, is, um, is in the presence of God, and what did the Lord say to him? Look at verse 1. The Lord says, "'Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first which you broke.'" Be ready in the morning and come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to be with me on the top of the mountain. No one can come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. And so Moses did what God commanded. Now, what is the significance of that event? It's this. God is now relating to His people afresh, not merely through the exodus out of Egypt, but through the mediation of Moses as a heightened type of Christ to come. As a Melchizedekian priest, God is now coming to His people, listen, afresh through Moses, keeping His covenant love and His faithfulness to His people. Do you see that? It's a covenant renewal of what God had already entered into with Israel as he brought them through the waters of the Red Sea in the wilderness to Mount Sinai. So it's a covenant renewal. And in that context, what does the Lord do? He gives to Moses now afresh the substance of his covenant presence. What does he say? The Lord, when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord commanded him, verse 5, please see this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Just stop. Just stop. (laughs) Did you see it? The Lord descended in a cloud, which is a theophany, and he stood with Moses with this covenant being freshly Renewed. Remember earlier, last night, when we talked about Adam fellowshipping with the Lord on the mountain? Adam walking amidst the stones of fire that were ablaze with the glory of God? And Adam being banished from that mountain presence because he was unfaithful to the Lord? Something has changed, hasn't it? The way to God has been opened through a redemptive promise that has Christ promised as its substance. And through that promise, God stands with Moses, dwells with Moses, walks with Moses, fellowships with Moses, speaks to Moses, and discloses what? I'm gonna put as basically as I know how. He discloses his glory, and his covenant. His glory and his covenant he makes known. Look at the, at the next text. The Lord stood there with Moses and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Do you know what the name of the Lord is? It is the Lord. His name is his presence and his presence is is his name. So when he's proclaiming his name, do you know what he's doing? I don't know how to get this across really well. He's drawing as near as possible given the economy with Moses. Just as near as possible prior to the coming of Christ and his ascension into heaven. And there, drawing near in his name presence, what does he do? <laughs> this, this is beautiful. He declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And what did Moses do? I'll tell you what he did. He does what we do now and what we will do when Jesus Christ returns. He bowed before the Lord in worship. You see it? This is it. This is the heart of the covenant. This is the heart of our religion. On the mountain. In the presence of God, as his name and presence and glory are being declared to Moses, Moses bows before him in worship and fellowship. And this isn't the end of the age, but it's what the end of the age looks like. You see? It's not the end of the age, but this is what the end of the age looks like. The Lord descending on a mountain to dwell with his people and fill them with delight. And fill them with his glory. And Moses bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. There it is. That's what we're about. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Do you hear it? Don't, Don't let this be only for me, Lord. Bring this glory presence to your people. Let the glory Dwell in the midst of your people. Think of it this way. Let the glory I know as the mediator of this covenant, look, overflow to all of those who are your people. Do you see it? That's exactly what he's asking. And what does the Lord say? (laughs) The Lord says, behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as never been seen in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do. What is he saying? He's saying to Moses, yes, I will go with you, and I will dwell in your midst and in the midst of the people. Then, now, then, what do you start to see? You start to see God revealing His grace, His saving presence, the glory and rest on the mountain in the form, verse 10, of a covenant. It's the old covenant. And it is at its core, I hope you can see this. Can you see how, how far this is from a covenant of works? It's a covenant of works. Moses doesn't have a chance to even step foot on the mountain. It's a covenant of grace. It's a gracious, sovereign, merciful presence of God. First to Moses the mediator, and through Moses the mediator to the covenant people. We almost don't need to look at Hebrews. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't need... Yes, we do. I shouldn't say it. You, you need Hebrews. We need Hebrews, but, but there's a relative sense in which you've already seen Hebrews, but, but there's more. There's more. Let's keep going. Um, here's, here's what's critical, and this, this is a mind boggler. Uh, uh, this, this, what I'm about to tell you is, is, is astounding. I still, you know, it's just, just so beautiful. But look down to Exodus 34, 28. (laughs) Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Now listen. He neither ate bread nor drank water and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. What in the world is this? It's getting even higher. The typology is heightening more and more and more. Now, in Exodus 34 28, 40 days, no water and no food. How long can you make it on that? I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor's help. Okay. What's the point? Let me tell you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the glorious presence and mouth of the living and true God and in his promised Messiah. That's true, you see. Moses, on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, 28, is sustained in a manner. Tell me what it sounds like. Just tell me if you, if you hear this. Hebrews seven sixteen, The life Jesus has is the power of what? An indestructible life. He doesn't, as far as we know, eat or drink, He is translated into a heavenly realm of glory where he has imperishable and never-ending existence as the messianic, resurrected, and ascended Son of God. For 40 days, listen, this is why it's the high point, for 40 days, while everyone else is wasting away, Moses is being supernaturally sustained by the glory presence of God on the mountain as God shows him his glory and listen sustains him in life by that glory by that grace by that presence it again it's not the end of the age but it's the way the end of the age will look isn't it do you see I, to be honest with you in terms of the typology this one almost blows the mountain top right off. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know how Sinai contained it. See what I'm saying? There was was such an intensive, redemptive presence, rest, and glory that Moses is supernaturally sustained like no one else in the history of Old Testament revelation barring, am I missing someone? I don't think I am. So this is the apex. Do you see what I'm saying? I didn't get to get to this last night. But now, That, that is the heart of this covenant relation. Concentrated in Moses, the mediator. Concentrated in Moses. uh, I'll try to turn you toward Hebrews. We're not going to get there yet. But Moses as as a what? As a forerunner. Moses as what? A pioneer. Moses as what? Moses as the first fruits of this glory fellowship on the mountain of the Lord. That is what the Mosaic Covenant is about. That's what the covenant of grace under Moses is about. And it's, and it's there, if you, could, if you and I could do this, if we, were, if we were at the foot of Mount Sinai and were given eyes to see, what would we see? Tell me, tell me if you see it. We would see one person, one mediator, ascending the mountain of God and filled with glory, supernaturally sustained by the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking a thing. You know what it's like? It's like looking into heaven. You see? It's like looking into heaven. <laughs> and Moses has that glory in his person as he is united to the promised Messiah, of whom He is an intensive, heightened type. That's what we're looking at. And and just there, just there, from that glory, look at verse 29. Moses comes down from the mountain. Now, I do. Do you remember last night when I told you this? There's glory in this, but if you were Moses, there's something heartbreaking about it. Do you see what I'm saying now? It's a heartbreaker to have to come down from that. But Moses, having been in that glory presence for 40 days, 40 nights, now he comes down to the people. Do you see the escalation and advancement from Exodus 20 and the first giving of the law? Do you see the internal movement? Moses was not so transformed, not so glorified in a proleptic sense, in the first giving of the law. But in this renewal of the covenant, Moses takes on these heightened, typical proportions as he bears in his person now glory. And so what happens? Look look with me. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Just stop there. Because he'd been doing what? Talking with God in the glory of fellowship on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And what did he bear? Listen, We've got to get this. What did he bear on his countenance? I don't want to push this too hard. I don't want you to think I'm being weird. But but do you know what he bore? He bore an anticipation of the glory of resurrection life in Christ. He bore it. Christ hasn't been raised yet. Christ hasn't ascended yet. But the glory that sustains in life forever in a provisional form is what? It's on his countenance. He bears it. And as such, what is he doing? He's bringing the Decalogue afresh. And what is he saying to the people? He's saying, trust in this gracious, loving God who's dwelling in our midst and embrace these words as the words of life in fellowship with God. That's what he's doing. He's coming down the mountain, and these people have been what? Do you see this? I hope you see this. Who are these people he's coming down to? They are idolaters who have broken covenant with God, and now God is sending Moses down to them with the words of life and the glory of heaven and the glory of of the future resurrection life that's going to come in Christ on Moses' face. And what, what does Moses do? Aaron and all the people saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, and what were they? Think Genesis 3.8. They're like, if that's Moses, I'm heading this way because we're idolaters and he's bearing the glory, the Shekinah glory of Jehovah. That can't be good. So, so they're thinking... You know what they're thinking, I think? I think they're going, this is a recapitulation of Genesis 3.8, where the Lord comes in judgment, and we better get out of here. Let's get to the bushes quickly. Let's go. That's what they're doing. But here's what I want you to see, and this is beautiful. When they are afraid, Moses called to them, and Moses What's the last reference to talk in the narrative? God talked to Moses, Moses talked to God, and now Moses talks to the people. He doesn't tell them, run. What does he do? He says, wait. He says, listen, come. Come, come to me. And he talks. What would he say? Here's what he'd say. I'm going to give you an amplification. I don't want to go beyond this teaching of Scripture, but I can tell you what he said. Here's, Here's something of the substance he said. He said something like this. Listen, Israel, I didn't eat a thing or drink a thing the last 40 days. And look at my face. Do I look emaciated? I'm bearing the glory of the Lord in my countenance because the Lord passed before me, showed me his love, showed me his presence, showed me his glory, and I lived in his presence in a way that is unparalleled and unprecedented to this point in redemptive history. Now, he'd say it better than that, but that's what he'd say. And and the people would be astounded, wouldn't they? And, and so Moses draws them near, talks to them. What is it? What is it doing? Think of it. Moses is coming down from the Mount of Fellowship, where he's talked with the Lord, and he draws the people near and says, talk to me. I have talked to the Lord. What is he doing? Well, he's now as the mediator with the two tablets of the testimony. It's two tablets, first God word, Second manward, and in that order, he's coming to two tablets of the testimony, and he is showing the people the way of life in covenant with God, the way that is opened by this covenant renewal. First tablets broken, second tablets are coming. For what purpose? Well, let me let me put it this way. I hope I don't I don't want to push too hard, and I don't want you to think I'm straining on this. But whose glory is on Moses' face? So, even though it's Moses, who's drawing near? God in Moses. And the words that Moses speaks are the words that God has given him while on the mountain and in the two tables of the testimony. Do you see it? But but in this then, in his descent, Moses brings with him the glory of the fellowship that comes through the promised Messiah. The glory on Moses' face says to those in Israel that if you put your trust in the Lord, his provision, his word through Moses, Wrath will not break out against you, but the glory presence of God on Moses' face is with you to the end. Do You see that? That's the gospel, right? That's gospel as deep as it gets in your Bible in the Old Testament. God will dwell with you in the way he's dwelled with me, Moses would say, because the glory and presence of God with Israel cannot be separated from what Moses mediates. Do you see that? You just can't get it. Where where else can you go if you're in Israel? And, And someone said, hey, where else should we go for this glory? All roads lead to Moses because all roads lead to the sovereign and living God whose glory Moses bears, right? Now, let me ask you this. Do you not hear an earlier edition of the same gospel in Jesus Christ in this text? Is it not just self-evidencing? It's astounding, isn't it? So, so Moses is drawing near, but the problem... Oh, oh let me make this before I get to the problem. I hate to give you a problem. But, um, but, but, but what is coming down to the people is Moses the forerunner and the foretaster of what the people will receive. Listen, Moses first, and then those with Moses. Moses first, and then those identified with him as a type of whom. See? Now, here's, I hate to do this, But Moses just isn't Jesus, right? See, this is what makes people who know the Old Testament and and who um, try to get their minds around Moses. It's real hard to let this one go, isn't it? But what does the text tell us? And this is where one greater than Moses is entailed. Entailed from the Old Testament on its own terms. This is where one greater than Moses is demanded. Listen. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, verse 34. Oh, pardon me. Verse 33. When Moses finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded, which is what? What he, was re- what he received on the mountain. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of his face was shining. But why was the veil present? Because though the veil was covering glory, that glory was what? It was receding. Now here's the sad part. We just went to heaven with Moses. That's what we did. But when Moses returns from the mountain, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 3.7 and following that his glory began to fade. It began to dissipate. It began to diminish. Why? Because Moses had to leave that glory presence of God on the mountain and return back to a people who were still in wilderness and moving toward a promised rest. Right? And so, in Moses' glory, you see the presence of God to bless. In Moses' fading glory, you see the need for greater blessing. But please get this, and then I'll give you a break. The blessing that's coming is not different in kind. It is not different in kind. It is going to be different in degree. Because it's the same face of God that Moses is given access to, that we are going to be given access to and are given access to in Christ. And the fundamental difference is going to be twofold. One Someone greater than Moses is going to come and receive the fullness and unfading glory that Moses possessed for a short time on the mountain. And he is going to confer it in its unending fullness on his people. And that is how Christ is so necessary, flowing out of the nature of what's happening. In Exodus, but the point point I want you to get here, and and I'm 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 almost there, is is well you know what I'll summarize after a five minute break. I've got it right there. It is so so there we go. If you have questions, by the way, um, when we come back, ask questions, and because I want to make sure we're clear on all this, and then I'll go on and summarize a little bit more, and then we're going to slowly start turning toward the Ascended Christ.